You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. I want to I want us to start just our time together in full transparency and honesty. Can we do that? Yeah? Okay. Who's put up their Christmas decorations already? <laughs> Raise your hand. Come on. Like, let this be inside or out. Inside or out, put your hands up. Come on. I want everybody to see who they are. Yeah, okay. Um, so, um, I'm not going to say which, which one of my kids, but um, say, <clears throat> uh, it's like a nutcracker threw up in her room. And so... <laughs> Uh, last weekend, we were doing some cleaning out in the garage, and you know we have to take down all these boxes, right? That you store all year round in your uh, in your garage. And so, I decided that I was going to not only take down all the Christmas decoration boxes, but then I was going to attempt to just do a light clean of my garage. Ever be there? Right? And so as I started pulling everything out, I realized how much junk and how much mess was in this garage. And so about six and a half hours into this thing, I am exhausted. Like I did not want, and everything was still out on my driveway because, you know, like a good clean out is you take everything out and then you put it all back where it's supposed to be. And so, I mean, we took loads over to Salvation Army. We, we did all, we took loads to the church. We took loads to friends. We put a whole bunch of stuff in, in gar- the garbage. Like there was just so much junk and mess in our garage. And um, we have this uh, cabinet, a small little cabinet on the wall that I had to take out because we were going to do something different with that area. And it was at the end of it. It was, at, it was like the final cleanup, the final thing I had to do. And I unscrewed this cabinet. And you know when a cabinet's on the wall, men like, and women too, like when it's on the wall and uh, the paint kind of like adheres to the back. And so even though I took all the screws out, it still was stuck to the wall. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like trying to pull it. And I pull the cabinet and it releases and it leans over and knocks into a glass jar that was holding our spare change um, right next to the door from the garage going into the house. So I knock it over and this thing hits the ground and it shatters. I mean, just shatters all over my garage, change everywhere, glass everywhere. And so I yell out, Lauren, right? So as I yell out for my wife and I'm like opening the door and I'm like, come out here quick. And so she comes running out and I was so, I was just like, can you clean up my mess, please? Like, like, I'm just done. And she's just inside caring for, for now six kids. We have two foster daughters with us right now. And so she's like, okay. And she came to my rescue and, and she started cleaning up all the change and all the glass. And, and my girls kept coming out in the midst of that, trying to see what happened. And, and she was protecting them, right? She's like, no, don't come out here. There's glass, like stay inside. And, and as I was remembering that story, I was thinking about how we all have junk in our lives. We all have a mess in our lives. The Bible often calls the junk and the mess that we have sin. We all experience it. We all have it. And, and life throws all these circumstances at us. There's just things that happen in life uh, to us and other people's sins against us and then our own sin that ends up creating this mess. And we leave lives of brokenness because of the world and the life we lead. And our sin, it all can exhaust us. Does anybody ever get to the place where they're just exhausted by the brokenness of the world and their own sin? And it's usually in those moments of exhaustion that the devil attacks, that the devil will come after us, that the enemy tries to tempt us with sin. And when we give in, 
Sin splatters. And that's the story that we're going to be looking at of Jacob. The story of Jacob is a story of him making some bad choices, allowing his sin to overcome his circumstance. And that sin affects everybody around him. So I want to pray, and then we're going to dive into chapter 27. So, so now I just read chapter 25 that gives us the whole backstory of who Jacob and Esau are. And now we're going to jump in to Genesis 27. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. This is your word. I have nothing to add to it. God, I pray that our hearts would be freed this morning with the good news that you have come to restore us in the midst of our brokenness and mess. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so Genesis 27. Let me read verses one through four. So when Isaac was old, this is the dad, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here, am I, here I am. And he said, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go into the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Okay, this is Esau's moment. If you know anything about this culture or context, this is the moment when the father blesses his eldest son. This is a blessing that Esau would have waited for his whole life. Esau would have been like, this is the moment. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna hunt, I'm gonna get the best food that I can. I'm gonna prepare the best food for my dad. And then I'm gonna go, I'm gonna prepare for my dad and he is gonna bless me. I take over the family. I take over um, the, the responsibilities of everything going on in my father's house. Like this is the blessing he's been waiting for. And then in verse five, we see the mom. Now the mom, Rebecca, is sitting there and she's hearing, she's hearing Isaac say this to Esau. And as she hears this saying to Esau, she devises a scheme and she says to Jacob, now is your chance. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go to your dad and you're going to hide yourself and you're going to take this, this blessing from your older brother and have it given to you. And so what they do is because Esau is so different than his younger brother, Jacob is kind of a quieter guy. He's not hairy. And so then he ha they have Esau, who's this kind of burly man. And so she puts skins on his arms and she gets his old clothes like from out of the dirty hamper and puts them on Jacob so he smells like his older brother. And then he goes into his father's tent. And so now we pick up in verse 18. So he went into his father. Now this is Jacob, the younger brother. He said, my father. And he said, here I am. But who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? 
He answered, because the Lord has granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. So there's a lot going on here. There is lying, there is manipulation, there is thievery, there's deceit, there's cheating. I mean, this is a pretty big deal going on here. I mean, over and over again, his, his, his dad is like, is that really you, Esau? Yep, it's me. Like, did you really? Yep, yep, I, that, I really went and, and caught that food. Did you? But, but you don't sound like, no, I you know, <clears throat> got a little tickle in my voice, right? I, I'm coming down with something, dad. Like, well, come here so that I can at least smell you. And so he goes near and he's wearing his brother's clothes. And he's like, all right, you smell like him. You feel like him. You don't sound like him. Something's up here, but I can't see. And so you know what? I am going to bless you. And so he does. Look at the words used here. Because like, when you're reading this story, some people may feel like, wow, that's pretty harsh to say that he's lying, manipulating, thievery, deceit, cheating. But look at verses 35 and 36. He says, your brother came, what? Deceitfully. And he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has, what? Cheated me these two times. He did that already when he stole the stew. And he took away the birthright. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And because of this, because of Jacob's sin splattering all over the place, Esau now wants to kill Jacob. So Jacob runs away. And this week I've been sitting with this passage and this is a passage that sometimes can be hard for us to, to wrap our minds around because it affects every single person in this room is that sin splatters. Sin splatters. The story and the effects of sin, they sever relationship and God's forgiveness in spite of who we think we are or what we try to manufacture or what type of mask we try to put on. But God forgives us in spite of all that. And so here's three observations in this passage and then I wanna go to three takeaways. Three observations. Here's the first one. Sin is the ultimate pandemic. And I use that word because that word pandemic means something that affects the entirety of the world. We just went through it. I know you guys, like, it's even a weird word to say now these days, right? It's almost a curse word in our culture to use the word pandemic. But, but sin is the ultimate pandemic. Everyone in this story is a sinner. Isaac's a sinner. Rebecca's a sinner. Esau's a sinner. Jacob's, Jacob's a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Every person in this book besides the person of Jesus is a sinner. Sin affects every man every woman and every child. You don't have to tell a new mom or dad that their child is a sinner. They already know it. 
when they start taking food out of the dog bowl and throwing it all over the place or saying no for the first time. Like, it's in us. And so sin is the ultimate pangenic. So why are we in a series called Forgiven Failures? Well, because we, we want us to understand and wrap our minds around the fact that in spite of the fact that we are failures, in spite of the fact that we are sinners, God forgives us. That's why he sent Jesus. He doesn't ask us to get our act together and then he forgives us. He forgives us in our sin. And I think when we look at a story like Jacob's, we all can relate to something in Jacob's story because we all have sin in our lives. The Bible, Paul writes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You don't know how many people I come across, because I'm out in, in like just, let's call it the real world, every day. And as I'm talking to people about Jesus, so many people say, well, I'm a good person. If you were to ask most people if they're sinners, most people would actually probably say no. They know they mess up, but they won't go as far as to say they're sinners. And sometimes we come into a place like this and we hear that we're sinners and that feels like, oh man, you're being really heavy or harsh right now. But, but if we recognize who we are, then we actually can find the solution. If we recognize the problem, we can find the solution. If we don't recognize the problem, then there is no solution. Sin is the ultimate pandemic. And so when sin splatters, it's something that affects every single person in this world. And we have to also understand that sin comes in all shapes and sizes. As I've studied the word of God, one of the things that I've observed is that the majority of the time, especially when you go back to Hebrew and Greek, which is what the original texts were written in, when God is referring to sin, it is singular. When we refer to sin, we refer to it as plural. What happens when we pluralize sin is that we begin to, to name sins and separate them, right? So lying, cheating, stealing, murder, adultery. And by separating them, what we begin to do is stack them. Lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, right? We start to, to say, oh, this is, this is worse than this, and this is worse than this. But when God sees sin, he sees sin. When he sees lying, he sees sin. When he sees murder, he sees sin. And both of those things separate us from God. Sin. And so sin comes in all shapes and sizes. Here in Jacob's sin, it's lying, manipulation, thievery, deceit, and cheating. And by separating sin into sins, what ends up happening is that we begin to justify, rationalize, and minimize our sin because we think that it's not as bad as everyone else's. Anybody play the game of comparison? Just me. Guys, you, you leave me hanging up here all the time. Like the comparison game where you look around and you know you're doing something wrong, but then you look at the next guy and you're like, well, he's worse, so I guess I'm good. Man, if I, if I could just stay above 51%. Sin is sin. And every major fall, every major fall is preceded by a bunch of small stumbles. Every major fall is preceded by a bunch of small stumbles. We make compromise after compromise after compromise, 
And then we begin to rationalize and minimize and justify our sin. There's a story in 2 Samuel 11, a man named King David. If you've been a part of the church for any given time, you would have seen King David on the felt board at some point in your life. Right? King David is someone that the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. And King David does something that is completely out of character for him. He is leading the people towards God. He is leading the people so well. And there's a moment that in his story, in 2 Samuel 11, that he sends his army out to battle. Normally and contextually, he would go out to battle with his army. For some reason, he doesn't go to this battle. He stays behind. And he's just kind of moseying about the, the castle. He's just walking around his own kingdom, in his, in his palace, kind of doing his thing, while his army is out there fighting this battle. And one of the things I want to warn us about is that it's in boredom and restlessness boredom and restlessness, that they are a petri dish for the bacteria of sin to grow. I'll say that again. Boredom and restlessness are a petri dish, petri dish for the bacteria of sin to grow. When we're bored, when we're restless, when we're just kind of floating about, the devil will come and throw something at us. And this is the point where David comes to in his story. He's on top of his roof and he sees a woman bathing, a married woman bathing. And he calls that woman to come to his house. And then he sleeps with her. And then she goes home and she realizes she's pregnant. And then he tries to cover it up. And then after he tries to cover it up, he, he then calls the husband back. And the husband comes back and doesn't sleep with his wife. So now he can't cover it up. And so what does he do? He sends the husband to the front lines to be murdered. All of these little things, little choices along the way, first and foremost, starting with the fact that he just didn't go to battle with his army like he normally did, then led to this restlessness, walking around, seeing a woman, lusting, and then after lusting, calling her into his chambers, and then it just started this snowball of sin that led to the unraveling of him and his kingdom. His sin splatters and affects everybody in his life. It leads him to Psalm 51.4 where he recognizes his sin because his friend comes to him and says, hey, here is the sin that you have just committed. God opens his eyes through the power of the Holy Spirit and he says this, Yahweh, against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Here's the third thing. Sin is vertical and it splatters horizontal. I think often we think about the ramifications of our sins in light of what's going to happen around us. And we don't see our sins in light of how it affects us with God. When we sin, whether it's against a brother, sister, or not, we sin against a holy God. That is where our sin takes place. And it affects everybody around us, even those hidden, concealed sins that we think nobody knows about. It affects everyone around us. Jacob's sin was against God. He failed to trust God, and his failure to trust God impacted everyone around him. And now when you're reading the story, you may even go to the fact that you'd be like, well, it's his mom's fault, isn't it? Like, it was his mom's fault. His mom kind of devised this scheme, and then she, she manipulated him, and she convinced him that this was the right thing to do. Listen, we have to understand this. 
Your sin is your sin. Stop blaming everyone around you for your sin. We do this all the time. You don't know how many people I sit with and we, we counsel with, just with, with our team that, that talk about, oh, yeah, I'd had an affair, but she did this, this, and this, or he did this, this, and this. Or, yeah, I know I took that for my work, but if you knew my boss, then all of a sudden you would. What we begin to do is rationalize and justify and minimize our own sin, and we begin to blame other people for it. In this story, was the mom wrong? Sure, that's her sin. But Jacob followed through with it, and Jacob sinned too. And so we have to stop blaming other people for our sin. That is a sin that we commit against a holy God. Our sin is vertical, and it splatters horizontally. We are all infected with sin. And since we can understand the problem, we can understand the solution. There is one solution to sin, and the solution to sin has a name, and his name is Jesus. The only way any one of us can find any sort of freedom from our sin, from our junk, from our mess that we have, because we all have it, is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a life that I could never live. It was a life of perfection. And he went to the cross, and when he went to the cross, his blood was poured out to cover me and my sin. All of the sin, like when he was on the cross, he was, he was thinking of you. Your sin, past, present, and future, was put on him at the cross. The weight that he bore on the cross was so incredibly heavy, so weighty, that he took it all on, and it was so weighty that the earth shook, and the mountains trembled, and the, the veil was torn. Like, there was so much going on in that moment that God himself wrapped himself in flesh and came so that you and I don't have to deal with our sin on our own. We could be sitting here in a, a gathering like this, over 2,000 years ago, and I'd be telling you that there's a law here that you have to follow to the T to be right with God. But then Jesus died, and no longer do we have to earn our salvation or follow the law to be able to gain our salvation, but Jesus accomplished it on our behalf because we can't keep the law. I can't do it. I cannot keep the law on my own. And because of that, I needed a savior outside of myself. And so because I understand the problem, I am a sinner, I can understand the solution. I need a savior. I need someone to come and live on my behalf. You know what's crazy about the story of Jacob? When we look at it and we see how he lied and manipulated and stole his brother's birthright, all these things, God still uses Jacob. And he still redeems Jacob. If that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what else would. Because we're looking at a story of a guy who has done some crazy things. David, I don't, maybe someone has, but I don't think there are many murderers in this room. Anyone want to admit that? And he forgave David, and he forgives Jacob. Genesis 28, 14. He, he, he allows Jacob to fall asleep, and then he meets him in his dream, and this is what God says to Jacob. In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You know what he's talking about? 
out of Jacob's lineage, Jesus is going to be born. He wasn't perfect. If you're sitting here today and you're like, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. I don't, but God does. And he still wants to use you. He still wants to bless you. He still wants to forgive you. And then in verse 28, 15, he says, behold, catch this. This is good. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God doesn't leave us in our sin. He doesn't leave us in our mess. He comes and he saves us in it. God has invited you into that same story. God wants your mess. He wants you to bring it to him and give it to him just like I brought my mess to Lauren when it shattered all over the floor. I know it's a silly example, but God takes everything that we have messed up, all of the junk, all of the garbage, all of the sin, and he takes it. So what is our response to this? To this, this is good news. When we talk about like living in freedom and family with one another, when we talk about actually experiencing life and life to the full, this is it, that Jesus paid the debt on our behalf so now we can have right relationship with God. So what's our response? Trust God, not what you can manufacture. Trust God and not what you can manufacture. God was for Jacob. He had a plan and nothing could stop God from fulfilling his plan. We have all experienced hardship and pain and brokenness all in different ways and different levels. Some of us have lived more life than others. Some of us haven't lived as much life as others, but we all have a story. This past week for me was one of the hardest weeks that I've had in a long time. And at 2.30 in the morning, I think it was Friday in the early morning, at 2.30 a.m., God woke me up and I opened up my Bible and he brought me to Psalm 46. God, you are my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Although the earth gives way and the mountains crumble into the depths of the sea, you are there. And so be still and know that I am God. That is what God is speaking over us in every problem, in every bit of brokenness, in every mess that we end up creating for ourselves and this world creates for us. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So we need to trust God, not what we can manufacture. Men, I just need to speak to you for a second. We are a type of being, and I don't know why it is, but we are the types of being that like to try to figure it out on our own. We don't want help. We wanna just do it. And God calls us to surrender. And that's the second thing. Second response is surrender it all to him. God wants the good, he wants the bad, and he wants the in-between. He wants you. And that level of intimacy sometimes is hard to grasp, but God wants you, and he wants all of you, the good, the bad, and the in-between. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, 
That's what surrender is, a confession that I can't do it anymore. I'm incapable. God, I can't clean up my act. God, I can't do it. I'm a sinner. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nothing is too big for God to solve and nothing is too small. Listen, I think we have a tendency to try to deal with the small stuff so we only have to go to God with the big stuff. Do you think he's like overwhelmed or something? You think he can't handle the small stuff? Why do we like have it in our brains that's like, oh, it's not important enough to go to God with? Like, he is God and he is present. He's not far off and distant. He's not sitting somewhere way out there and not listening to anything going on. He is present in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in the little and the big, bring it to God. Surrender it all to him. And here's the last thing. Seek forgiveness continually. The reason why I say this is because sin splatters. It is going to hurt everyone around you. And so we need to become people who seek forgiveness over and over and over again. Remember the first time that someone challenged me to do that as a dad? It's, a, it's, it's kind of a weird, uncomfortable thing to go into my two, three, four, five-year-old daughter's room and say, hey, daddy messed that one up. I'm sorry. Like, that sounds weird, right? I'm supposed to be dad. I'm supposed to be perfect. No, I don't want my girls to put all of their life and dependency on me. I want them to put it on Jesus. And I want them to know that daddy will mess up, but God won't. And that daddy may make mistakes, but God doesn't. And that God forgives me just as much as he's gonna forgive them. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so because our sin splatters, it's gonna hurt those around us. And there's a difference, and I I just wanna give us a little challenge in this, is that there's a difference between toxic guilt and shame and healthy guilt and shame. Let me me break this down real quick because I I want us to know this because toxic guilt and shame will cause us to run from and hide from God and each other. How do you know it's toxic? When you're beginning to isolate yourself. Toxic guilt and shame will cause you to run away from God and others. Healthy guilt and shame will cause you to run to God and to others. And so we have to learn the difference between these two because often I like to try to deal with it on my own. But God doesn't call me to deal with it on my own. He invites me to a family to partake in that I can go to my brother Ed and say, Ed, I'm struggling right now, help me. And that's what he's invited you into. And it's not comfortable and it's not easy and it's not something that we do normally in our culture. But man, it's so freeing when we do. There's so much freedom in us being able to go to a brother and say, man, I failed and I need help. So we seek forgiveness continually. And even in the moments, even in the moments where we are retreating, even in the moments where we are hiding, even in the moments when, when we are isolating, pastor and author Alistair Begg says this, Men and women by nature do not seek God. We run from God. The great story is that God is out there seeking for us. Wherever you are today, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're doing, God loves you. 
He loves you so much that he came to live a life on your behalf so that you can have relationship with him. Your sin no longer has to sever relationship with him and those around you. Give it to God. Don't let the sin that has splattered affect everyone around you, but let God clean up your mess and protect everyone around you.